Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. In a world with competing powers that are causing war, violence, and oppression, we all are longing for someone with the power to be able to make all of those things right. And in this season of Advent, we look back on when Jesus came to this earth as a baby, but we also look forward to when he comes again and he returns as King of kings and as Lord of lords. And back when the people were hoping for Messiah to come, they were actually hoping that he would actually fix their current situation, make their current situation better. But the hope of Jesus coming was not just to make their present tense life situation better. Jesus had a far greater plan in mind. He wanted to actually influence and change our eternal destination, our eternal direction. And when he comes again for his bride, his church, he is coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 as the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to Timothy and he's giving some final thoughts here because he's wanting Timothy to understand the types of things that he needs to be teaching to the church. Timothy, as a young elder, is charged with teaching and he wants to make sure that Timothy is getting the right things in the hearts of the people because there's so many other voices out there that are causing so many distractions because they're giving slight variations of the gospel and they're calling it gospel, but it's not gospel. It's just something to either line their pockets or to elevate their status or to elevate one's sense of spirituality. But yet the apostle Paul knew that people needed to stay focused and anchored in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's charging Timothy to do that and warning him about what others are doing as well. First Timothy, Chapter 6 and verse 3, he says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and do, that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith, excuse me, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach 
until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Here we read these words to Timothy where he's trying to say there are people out there who are trying to line their own pockets with this message of the gospel. There are people who are trying to elevate this knowledge idea above the true heart of the gospel and thus the, the, the birth of Gnosticism in that day and age that was spreading like wildfire where people thought they could climb the ladder of angelic secret levels of knowledge and enlightenment, and they would use the gospel of Jesus Christ to do that. And so they would try to pair Jesus and the message of the cross with these other things. And, and Paul is telling Timothy, the guys who do this stuff, they're just puffed up. They're just conceited. They're in this for their own gain. They're in this for their own reasons. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, what Paul is telling Timothy, and I believe what he's still saying to us today, is that Jesus is enough. No matter where you're at in life, no matter what's going on, what you're going through, Jesus is enough. And he's telling him, teach people that. Tell them about how to stay strong in the faith. Tell them about contentment. Tell them all of these other things, because if they're just chasing after money like these other guys, the love of that man, that's the root of all kinds of evil, but instead find contentment no matter where you may be with Jesus being enough because he gives him this title. He says he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He has all dominion over all things. So even though it seems like these guys are doing well, even though it seems like these guys have got some things figured out because they have the appearance of godliness. Maybe they have a lot of wealth and you may look up to them because you see someone who seems to be doing well in life. And a lot of us can get our eyes off of Jesus and get our eyes onto other people and we begin to compare our lives with theirs. And we begin to say, hey, that person seems to be doing pretty well. They seem to be living in a certain level of affluence. I want that because I'm tired of struggling. Or they may be popular in certain circles and they may have a good name in this community or that community. I want that. We begin to compare ourselves to other people and chase after the things that other people have. And here Paul is trying to warn Timothy, listen, man, that's a slippery slope. People are getting sucked into this thing because they're looking at these other people who are believing this way. But you stay anchored in the gospel because Jesus has authority over all of that. And you need to trust and believe and be anchored in the fact that Jesus is enough no matter how things may play out in my day-to-day -day life, no matter how things may be going uh, around me, the circumstances that I find myself in. Because doesn't it always seem that everyone else is just doing a little bit better than you? In everything in life, 
and that's our perception. It's this Instagram lie, right? We look and we can only see from the outside and we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes, but we assume naturally that no one has problems like we have, that no one is struggling like we're struggling, that if they only knew the truth, then man, I know that they would think less of me because of how I'm living versus what they're, how they're living. Oh, everyone else is not struggling with the type of sin that I'm struggling with. And we begin to compare ourselves to other people thinking that somehow everybody else has got just a little bit more figured out than we do. And then all of a sudden we feel as if we're failing and if we're behind. And so we kind of fake it till we make it type thing. And it's exhausting trying to live up to that standard. And that's why Paul tells Timothy, Contentment with godliness is great gain. You need to remember that Jesus is enough right where you're at. To be able to exhale instead of comparing yourself to other people in order to give yourself permission to feel good about certain things in your life or to feel as if God loves you or that he has counted you worthy to call you his own, that he's called you out of darkness into this light. Is is he not enough? Do we have to compare ourselves to other people? You see, church, all power and authority has been given to Jesus. All power, all authority. He is king of kings and lord of lords, and he loves you. I want you to just allow your your heart and mind to marinate in that throughout this Advent season, to think about the love of God and to think about how immeasurable it is, how we could try to attach human words, English, limited vocabulary, or any dialect, any language. There's so many barriers because no matter how wonderful we try to describe it, no matter what we try to do, we could not barely even scratch the surface of the depths of God's love for us because he loved us in our fallen state. The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. When we were enemies of God, when we were counted as enemies of God, that's when he died for us. Not when we got to a certain place where we started measuring up and we started behaving and being good little boys and good little girls. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, now you're worthy. No, we weren't worthy. That's the point, is that he died for us in our unworthy state. And then through Jesus, he has made us worthy to be called sons and daughters. That doesn't even make sense in my mind. But he did it for you and for me. And he is king of kings and lord of lords, which means he is higher than any other authority, any other voice in this world that would try to dictate your value and your worth. Any other person, any other thing that you would look to, to compare yourself to, He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. That means there's no one higher or ever will be higher. They're greater than Jesus. Scripture says he is preeminent. That means there never has been anyone greater. There never will be anyone greater. So even with all of this power, with all this authority, get this, this is the the, the thing that blows our minds. With all this power, all this authority, he chose to come at the appointed time and insert himself into human history as the sacrificial lamb of God. He sovereignly chose to come as a baby. You ever think about this before? He sovereignly chose to come as a baby. He could have appeared as a fully grown man. He could have. He could have done this any way he wanted to. He could have chosen to write the story however he wanted to write the story. He could have authored the prophecies however he wanted to author the prophecies. 
He could have set things in order however he wanted to set things in order, but he chose to come as a baby. And it wasn't even like, you know, something that everybody in town knew about and all of the dignitaries knew about. No, you know, some shepherds got quite a show. (laughs) The heavens lit up with a bunch of angels announcing his birth. I bet they were freaking out, you know. Jesus appeared to shepherds. There, uh, there, there's, there's this deal with the star and some wise men. I mean, but it wasn't to all these dignitaries and all. And it wasn't some grand palace. You would think the one having all authority, the king of kings, the lord of lords, you would think he would be born in like, some, like the best palace ever built by human hands. Like you would think we would want to just craft for him the best building that we could make with the resources that we had just to, to, to worship him and to, to give him honor because he's totally worthy of that. But instead he's born where animals eat food. Like that's where he came. And he sovereignly chose to do that. This was his choice. He wanted to come this way. It was, he wasn't a victim of the circumstances. He set this in order on purpose to teach us, to show us his heart, to show us what he values. He, he could have appeared as a fully grown man. Think about this, man. This messes with me. He could have just went, boom, fully grown man, time to die on the cross. Boom, done, booyakasha, done, died on the cross. Like, what? But instead, he comes as a baby. So that means that God, wrapped in flesh, has chosen to place himself in a position where he's going to be dependent on his human mother to care for him for a period of time in his life. What? You're taking care of God. Like you're changing God's diaper. You're breastfeeding God. Like you're having to clean up his scrapes, his bruises, you know? Like all of these, there was a, there's a dependency there for a season that God chose to interject himself into as this baby. It wasn't like he's like, you know, boss baby showing up on the scene. He's like, hey, Mary, what's up? You know, it, was, it wasn't like that. <clears throat> It's like he's a fully dependent baby, just like other babies. And he did everything other babies did. He cried, you know? He had to be changed. He had, you know, he he would spit up on his mom just like a normal baby would. But this this is God wrapped in flesh. He chose that. He chose to be that way. He chose to come that way. A powerless baby dependent on his mother for everything for a season because he wanted to identify with us in the way that he was once a helpless infant. And that helps us to realize because he came in the most unexpected ways and did things very differently than people expected him to, that he's probably not gonna do things the way you want and the way you expect. He's gonna do things according to his purpose and his plan. And so we have to trust in that and we have to do just as Jesus did in that infant state. We're dependent upon him, amen? We are helpless before him. We are helpless without Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing, church. We don't grow out of that. We never stop needing him. Christian maturity actually works backwards from the way that we would think when we hear the word maturity. When we think about maturity, we think you're finally strong enough to go out there on your own and do things on your own, right? We think, all right, you're, you're mature. You can make adult decisions. 
You can be responsible. You can go out and do things, and you shouldn't need my help with that, right? I'll tie your shoes for a little bit, but you know, if I'm tying your shoes later, hey, we got an issue, right? I'll help clean up after you for a little bit, but we expect people to develop and to become mature and to learn things, be able to do things on their own. But with Christ, it's like, actually, the more that we become confident, it's not that we become confident in ourselves and in our ability. It's actually become more confident in his ability. And thus, our dependence upon him increases. Because the more I get to know him, it's like the things I used to think, God, I got this. I'm like, what? I need you to breathe. I need you for the very breath in my lungs. I used to trust in myself to breathe, but now I realize, wow, that breath comes from God. And I want to breathe that in, man. Oh, my goodness. Wow. I want to recognize my dependence upon him that when I wake up in the morning, I pause and I think about how the fact that I woke up is a gift and how I need him to help me navigate this day. Not just when I come to the crossroads of where I don't know what to do, but in everything in my life, that I'm living a life that is completely dependent on him. That's what scripture is referring to in Jesus and Paul both say this idea of dying to ourselves, taking up our cross, It's saying it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So don't think that just because you've been a Christian for a long time or you've been a churchgoer for a long time that you've got all this stuff figured out because you've learned from some Christian phrases and some Christian scriptures and you've read your Bible a few times and gone to church. Don't think that you now are this super Christian that doesn't need him anymore. No, actually, the more you grow in Christ-likeness and godliness, the more you go, I need him. (laughs) And I didn't realize how much I needed him. And I go through these layers. That's what I've discovered in my own walk. I go through these layers of like repentance where like things that I repented for when I first became a Christian, they were like really obvious things to me and probably most people around me. But the longer that I walk with him, I find myself repenting for things that people don't see. Things I wasn't as aware of when I first became a Christ follower. Things in my heart, attitudes, intentions. Things that I'm like, God, help me to grow in this area because I'm realizing how much I need you. I'm realizing how even my attitude towards this person or this situation, how it's prideful or, 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 or how I'm not being genuine in this situation or this circumstance. God, you're revealing these things as we go deeper and deeper and he's being more and more glorified in my life and through me. Amen, church? And here's, here's the key when it comes to us realizing our need for Jesus is that do we trust in this authority that the King of kings and Lord of lords has? Do our lives reflect that we trust by the way we seek him, by the way we submit to him? Like, does our life really show that? Because I guarantee you, if we took a poll and we said, how many of you guys trust Jesus? Woohoo! trust Jesus, right? We're trusting in him. But then like, man, with the patterns of our lives, like, are we saying one thing, but yet our hearts and our lives and our actions actually reveal another because Do we trust that he's good? Are we living our lives with submissive priority? Because I think that the more I trust someone, the more that I'm willing to submit and I'm willing to obey. Because Jesus didn't just want us to learn things about God so we could go, neat. (laughs) That's neat. I'm not gonna do anything with this information, but boy, oh boy, was that a neat lesson at church today. (laughs) I learned some neat things. 
God's not just wanting to entertain us by giving us neato information. No, he's wanting us to submit and obey and trust, amen? Because I can say I love you, God, but if I love someone, I trust them. And if I trust them, I obey them, especially in those seasons when there may come an intersection of discomfort where my life and the things that I have said are okay and the things that I've justified and the things that I've stamped with approval when it comes to that intersection of, ooh, something's gotta change and it's me because God's not the one who's gonna change. It's gotta be us, amen? So go over to Matthew chapter seven. This is a fun scripture when we think about baby Jesus. Matthew seven and verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then, he will, then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I want to think about baby Jesus in a manger right now. <laughs> because that's a hard thing to think about. That's a hard thing to hear. But it it's meant to cause us to evaluate. Am I just saying, Lord, Lord, I, 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 I'm, I love you. I, I'm so thankful for you because, man, it's, it's easy for us to enjoy and embrace the part about Christianity that results in forgiveness of sin. Isn't that great? Because all of us realize we have error and shortcomings in our lives. I mean, none of us here think that we're perfect, or if we do, that's the sin of pride, and we need to repent of that. So either way, we've all got junk. Everybody in this room, I've, I've, I've got junk I need to repent of. You've got junk you need to repent of. And man, when I realize that, I'm like, oh, I have a way to be forgiven. I have a way to be cleansed, and it's through that this idea of me, you know, trusting in Christ and believing that he has paid the price for my sin and I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. As I read 1 John 1, 9, and I'm thankful for those promises. I'm thankful for those scriptures because it lets me know, man, I do fall, I do mess up, and I come to him in humility and I ask him for forgiveness. And I love that part about Christianity because, woo, man, when I feel bad about stuff, I can go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiveness. And I can go, I'm forgiven. I am free. And I love that Jesus is my savior, my forgiver, my redeemer. He's bought me back. I love singing about that. Ooh, I love talking about that. But then there's this Lord part. There's this Lord part that is a little harder for me because that's gonna require something of me. You see, there's a big difference between trusting Jesus to take away sins and making him Lord. There is a big difference. But here's the key, church, and I want us to remember this. We can't have one without the other. You can't halfway serve him and say you love him and say, yeah, thank you for what you've done for me, but yet I don't wanna make you Lord of my life. He, he said here, some people are gonna say, Lord, Lord. They're gonna say, man, you are my leader, you're my master, and he's like, what? I don't, I don't think so. I, I, but we did a lot of good things in your name. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, don't, I don't know you when you call me Lord. I don't, I don't know who you are because your life doesn't reflect one who has 
trusted me as Lord, like you haven't truly trusted me as Lord? Has it just been lip service or has our life, have we really trusted him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the sense of he has all authority and we go, yes, Jesus, he has all authority. And what that means to a lot of us when we hear that, because it sounds good and, and it's true, is that we go, Lord of Lords, that means he has dominion over everything. So that means when stuff tries to like come up against me and like hard stuff that's difficult, Jesus is bigger than that. Woo, I like that, right? Don't you like that? He's saying, you have no rivals, you have no equal. Yeah, he's like king of kings, lord of lords. What a wonderful name it is. And the drums are, do, 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 you know, what a wonderful name. You know, it's like awesome. Yeah, he, he has no rivals. There's no one bigger. And we're like, he can overcome any challenge in my life. And that's often how we interpret that. And yes, that's, that's true. But you know what is equally as potent and as true is that he has authority over you and over the things that we want to prioritize in our life. It's not just over the things that are against me, it's over me. And do I trust and submit to the fact that what he wants for me is good? Because sometimes when I, when I think about submitting to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there are hard things that he asks me to do, hard things he asks me to give up hard things that, man, it, it, it requires me to go outside of what I want to do naturally in my flesh and what may, I may have been conditioned to do. It may cause me to step outside of myself. And, and do I trust that that's good? Because in the moment, man, it doesn't, doesn't feel very good. But is he Lord? Are you hearing me this morning, church? Is he Lord? Because if he's Lord, I'm not going to step out based on what just feels good because anybody can do that. Anybody can follow God as long as they just chase in the fields, right? It's like, what about when it comes to that decision point where it's time for me to grow? It's time for me to actually take these things that I've heard, oh my goodness, for so long and actually put them into practice and make him Lord. Jesus is, is Savior, yes, and we love that he saves us and he is our Lord. He is King. He is the leader. He's the ruler over every aspect of our lives. And that's part of this dependence idea. And, and I think sometimes we, we soften things. And we soften ideas like dependence because it sounds like, sounds sweet and it sounds kind. And it is. Like there's a lot of sweetness and kindness to this idea of dependence. It's like, oh, it's like, think about like giving, you know, a dad a hug, you know, like and there's songs written with that type of tone of like just crawling up in God's lap and letting him love on you. And that's great. And, and yes, I depend on you, just like a child depends on their, their parent. Yes, like all those things. And that's the good side of dependence that feels warm and fuzzy. But there's another side of dependence and another side of good that may, but may not be as warm and fuzzy. It's like, man, I think when I think I know better, I have to go, oh, I don't like this. Oh, this is hard, but I'm gonna trust that you're good. I'm gonna trust that you're good. And that's hard for us to do, man, because we think we've got some things figured out. And when the Bible comes and shows us the heart of God and the parts of our lives that we think we got figured out and God's like going, no, that's out of line. Am I king of kings and my Lord of lords of your life? Or are you just conveniently following God where it makes sense in your life, where it's kind of easy to? Because, man, when I read the words of Jesus, he says, not everybody who says, Lord, Lord, is gonna be a part of my family. 
They're not gonna be able to enter in just because they conveniently fit it in. No, it's like, is he really Lord? Is he really trustworthy? And I think, you know, what it comes down to, church, is do we really believe that he's good? You know, in the Garden of Eden, the first two people, Adam and Eve, really the question that the snake, the serpent, posed to Adam and Eve, the first two people on the planet, who walked and talked with God in the garden in the cool of the day, who got to like experience the first of everything of creation. Like these two people were deceived by the serpent who made them question the goodness of God. At the end of the day, that's really what the lie was all about and the deception that the serpent told them. Because God said, all of this is good, except I'm gonna put one thing here that I don't want you to do, but everything else is good. And then the serpent comes along and says, did God really say? The serpent comes along and says, you know, God just knows that the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you're gonna become like him. And he doesn't want that. And so they're questioning in that moment the goodness of God. Is everything God said good really good? Or is everything that God said good not good? And we wanna be able to choose for ourselves what we think is good, what we think is evil. And that's the same problem we have in our society today, is that people are still wanting to choose for themselves what is good and what is evil. People want that type of power. They don't wanna submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords and let him who has already said what is good and what is not good and let us trust in him to define good and trust that he in himself and in his nature is good. No, we still wanna dictate and define for ourselves what is good and what is not good. And that's why this world's in such a mess that it is. Because we don't wanna submit to his definition of good because we don't ultimately trust that God is good. So when we say God is good, that means We are saying you are the Lord, you are the king, and you are good when it feels good and when it doesn't. Because anyone can follow God when it feels good, right? Let's go over to John 21 and 15. John 21, 15. Now check this out. This is like right after Jesus, he's already ascended from, uh, I mean, he's already risen from the grave. He has done some really awesome things and he's interacting with his disciples or what John records as the last time before he ascends into heaven. And he has this interesting interaction with Simon Peter. You guys, if you know the story, when Jesus was being beaten and carrying his cross and about to be crucified, everybody was looking at the disciples who were part of the crowd. They were saying, hey, weren't you guys with him? And And Peter, he denied being with Jesus three times, and Jesus predicted that Peter would do that because Jesus uh, told him, this is what's going on. Peter said, I'll never do that, right? He said, before the rooster crows in the morning, he's like, you're going to be able to, you're going to do this. And it ended up happening to where he, three times, he even cussed at somebody. He said, I don't know the blankety blank man, right? And we've heard this story before. And so this is a redemption moment for Peter. It's really a beautiful thing, but there's more to it than just Peter's redemption. In John 21, verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, you used to walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you're gonna stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not wanna go. And this was said to show what kind of death he was gonna die to glorify God. And then after saying this to Peter, what does he say? Help me out. This is much different than when Jesus called him the first time. He was out fishing, right? Peter was a commercial fisherman. He's out there fishing and he said, hey, leave these nets. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. All right, I'm in. This time, he says, hey, Peter, first of all, I want to know, do you love me more than these? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, feed my lambs. Okay. He wasn't talking about like his pets while he was away, you know. He's talking about people, young ones, children, next gen. Peter, do you love me more than these? Yeah. I, maybe Jesus didn't hear me. Yes, Jesus. <laughs> I, yes. I, I love you. Okay. Well, feed my sheep. Oh, oh, okay. I get it. Lambs, now sheep. Okay. All right. Peter's like, I got you now, Jesus. Hey, Peter, yeah? Surely he's not gonna ask me a third time. Do you love me more than these? Now he's grieved. You know, he doesn't feel Jesus is hearing him, doesn't believe him. Like, Because last time, remember, <clears throat> he said, I'll never, I'll never deny you. Yeah, I'm grieved. Is this, is this the same thing? Feed my sheep. And, and by the way, I want you to know that when you were little, you used to dress yourself when you were younger. You'd go wherever you wanted to go. You'd make your own choices. But there's going to come a time where somebody else is going to dress you and you're not going to want them to. And they're going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And he was telling them, you're going to die for my sake. Oh, and by the way, now, follow me. I hear this story. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you love me, if you trust me, then now are you willing to obey me even though it's gonna cost you your life? Am I worth it to you? That's what he was essentially asking Peter. Am I worth it? Am I worth it for you to follow me all the way to the end? To trust me all the way to the end, not just when it's convenient, because valuing Christ as Lord, it requires that we die to ourselves. Jesus' first advent, he came as a sacrificial lamb. And Jesus' second advent, he will come as a triumphant lamb, Lord of lords and King of kings. Are you ready for his return? I'm not asking you if you have your ticket punch for heaven. I'm asking, are you ready for his return by living submitted to him? By being confident that he knows your name? by being confident because you are dying to yourself daily, you're submitting to him, you're trusting him, you put your faith and your trust in him. You have said, yes, Jesus, I do trust in your grace. I do trust in what you've done for me that I didn't deserve, but I also now, as, as, as worship to you, want to live my life submitted to you, trusting in you every step of the way. And so I wanna ask, 
have you made Jesus your Lord? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you made him Lord and have you unashamedly declared to him that you are following him? Have you unashamedly declared to others through the act of water baptism that yes, I'm unashamed? Have you put your faith and trust in him when it's convenient and when it's not? Are you growing daily, recognizing your need for him and adjusting your life's priorities to reflect that he's Lord? Because he cannot be Lord over a few select parts. That's not how being a Lord works. He's Lord over all. He's not just a Lord over a portion. He's Lord of Lords. That means everybody else who's got authority, he's above them. He's not just a king over a certain domain. No, he's the king of kings. So that means all the kings, all of their, all of their area of rule, he's even higher than that. And so we can't just say, Lord, I've sectioned off and quarantined off a part of my life that I'll submit to you. No, he's Lord of lords. He's king of kings. We say these things, but I wanna ask, have you made that decision. And so I'm going to ask our prayer team to come this morning. And if you're here today and there is this crossroads in your mind and in your heart, maybe that's the Holy Spirit of God working in your own heart and you need somebody to pray with you. And and listen, someone praying with you, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you weren't a Christian before. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying maybe now you're coming to a a crossroad, an impasse in your life where you've been confronted with the gospel, the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and now you realize, man, I haven't really submitted and trusted like I thought I had, or, or, or maybe you have strayed and you need to come and you need to just say, hey, will you pray for me? I, 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 wanna, I wanna really be serious about this commitment to Christ, and I just wanna pray for strength to be able to do that, or maybe connect with someone to help you do that. Or maybe you need to tell one of these prayer partners, hey, I want to go public with my faith. I want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in the act of water baptism. And I want people to know that I'm unashamed of the gospel and that he's forgiven me, he's cleansed me, he's made me in right standing with God. And I want people to know that and I'm not ashamed and I want to make that public declaration. And maybe you need to tell one of these prayer partners that. Or maybe there's something else going on in your life and God's dealing with you right now about it and you just need someone to connect. Or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know about Jesus, you've heard about Jesus, maybe you've been exploring the idea about Jesus. Maybe you've been exposed to it your whole life. But in this moment, something's different. Something's different than it was before. Would you come? And church, can we worship as we pray, as we minister, as people come and are prayed for and ministered to? Lord, do what only you can do in the hearts and lives of people. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.